Hey, good morning, Brookside. It's good to see you. Welcome. Hey, if you're a guest here with us today, um, really a privilege to have you here if we haven't met yet. Um, yeah, I would love uh, to meet you. Um, hey, this morning what we're going to do is we're going to continue on in our, our series uh, through the New Testament book of Luke. And really excited for where we're heading this morning. Actually, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there now. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8 this morning or get a Bible app on your phone and click there. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 8. We're going to look at 15 verses this morning. And what we're going to see is this. Jesus is going to talk about uh, four different kinds of people. And you're going to be able to see yourself in the text this morning in one of these four kinds of people. Um, but what I love about this text more than anything else is it's not only going to help you identify who you are, but you're also going to be able to, to see very clearly who you can become. Jesus is going, Jesus is going to make that uh, very clear to us this morning. And, and it's all going to kind of come together in this one question that we're going to see that the text is really going to drive us to. So we'll dive into that, that one important question. Before that, though, let me pray uh, for us, and, and then we'll, we'll get after it together. So let's pray together. Lord, we come to you this morning, and Father, we just want to thank you for who you are. Lord, we love you. We love the, that we can gather in this place. Lord, we pray this morning, most of all, Lord, that you would lead us. Um, Father, we pray um, that the words of my mouth um, would be pleasing to you. Lord, we pray that the meditation of our hearts, Lord, would be honorable to you. Lord, I think of the person that comes here this morning, maybe they're new to faith, they've come to know Christ recently. Lord, I pray that you would grow, that you would protect the seed of faith that you've put in them. Lord, I think of the person that's here this morning, and maybe they're in a, a serious challenge or a relational conflict or just really facing an uphill climb in their life. And I pray, Lord, that you would meet them in this place this morning, that you would speak to them. Lord, would you bring encouragement? Would you bring conviction? Lord, we invite you to speak to us this morning. Church, I want to read this psalm over you right now, maybe even turn your palms up just to kind of receive this um, uh, where you are this morning. This is kind of be becoming an anchor passage for me lately. Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you, he will not slumber. Think about that. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will, will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. Lord, we celebrate your presence. We celebrate the fact that you watch over us, that you are engaged, that you are involved, Lord. We look to you for our help, Lord. And so it's in your great name that we pray. Amen. Last weekend, we looked at this incredible passage in Luke chapter 7, this uh, really dramatic scene, um, so eventful, uh, teaching so well, really, some of the things that are so important for us. And, and you're going to see some overlap, actually, uh, from last weekend into this morning, because last weekend, we saw the posture of a person who really came before God in the right way, and she received from God, and she worshiped God so authentically in such, in, in such a powerful way. So you're going to see some parallels in the application this morning as we get into Luke chapter 8. So look at this with me. Verse 1, it starts out this way. It says, after this, and so it's talking about after this incredible scene that we looked at last weekend in Simon's home, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and one village to another. And what's he doing? He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus has been going around and around. Think of kind of like a traveling rabbi. And, and he's been healing the sick, though. And he's been feeding the poor. And he's been doing miraculous things. And he's been proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, what we're calling the best news ever. And so Jesus is going about from place to place. And as he does... People are beginning to follow Jesus. This is the time in his life where you could, you could say it's referred to as his public ministry. 
And so the crowds are forming, not just crowds, whole towns are forming, and they're, they're following him. And, and in the minds of some, they're thinking, we want a new government, and we're wondering if this is the one. We're wondering if this is the leader, the promised Messiah that, that we've heard about, that we've read about. We're wondering if Jesus is that guy for other people they had been touched by God. And so they were coming because they, they believed in him. They believed you are the Messiah, not the government guy, but you are the, you are the king. You are the guy that talks about the kingdom, and I do believe you are truly the king. Other people, they were coming because they were curious. It says this in Mark chapter 4 and then again in Matthew chapter 13, that in this parable that we'll look at this morning, that the crowds were so big that Jesus gets into a boat and he has to get some distance between himself and the crowd so that he can really proclaim to them well, so that he can address them because the crowds are becoming so large. And so it says this, it says the 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. And these women were helping support them out of their own means. Now, notice who's in the crowd. Notice who's with Jesus. You've got men. You've got women. No doubt you've got some teenagers. No doubt you've got some children. You've got the apostles. You've got a woman that's been healed of diseases, another one that's been healed of, of, of demons. Demons have been cast out of this woman. You've got all sorts of people. You've got someone that's connected to the, to the household, that's married to the manager of Herod's household. So you've got like the high side of society as well. And this is kind of like this in the text. We can't miss this. It's a not so subtle reminder that Jesus is, it's a signpost. Jesus is for all people, all people. You know, one of the questions that we're asking ourselves as a church is this, if Jesus were me, who would he see? Because this is a reminder even right away in the text Jesus is for all people. All people matter to God. You matter to God. I matter to God. All people matter to God. So Jesus, as a church, we ask this question. Jesus, if you were me, who would you see? Notice who he sees. Notice who is touched by the life of our God. Verse 4, it says, while a large crowd was gathering, and the people were coming to Jesus from town after town, it says that he told them this parable. Now, quick time out here. If you're newer to church, a parable, and Jesus taught 46 parables in the Gospels. A parable is simply this. A parable was a way that Jesus would teach powerfully. He wouldn't just say, just kind of say something and just kind of teach and expect you to get it. Instead, Jesus would, he would tell a story and you'd be able to see yourself in it. And then it would be powerful to you. You'd stand back and you'd go, wow, that's what that means. Or it'd be really confusing, actually. And then Jesus would have to explain the parable. But know this. When you think parable, it would be a mistake, church, if we thought, oh, parables. Oh, this morning we're going to go through a parable. Oh, that's so cute. That's a nice little story. I picture Jesus, he's got the kids gathered around him, or he's got a bunch of adults for a tea party and a little story time. No, that's not it at all. When Jesus teaches these parables, he's introducing radical thinking. When Jesus teaches a parable, what he's doing when he teaches anything, he's talking about the kingdom of God. The message that Jesus was teaching right here in this text, two years later, would get him killed by Rome. His message was subversive. His message was powerful. Jesus was teaching a message that he longed for it to transform the minds of people. He wanted to rearrange the furniture in their minds. He wanted them to walk away and go, oh, I need to think about that. Oh, if I'm going to follow that king, then I have to rearrange how I think about my own life. And so when you think parable, don't think some soft little cute story. Think this is a transforming truth that Jesus is bringing to us. And so the crowds are gathered. And one thing is for sure, a large crowd doesn't impress Jesus. 
I don't think he cared how many were there that day. It's evident, actually. If he would have cared how many people had showed up that day, he would have done a cool miracle right there on the water. And everyone would have been, wow, and it would have even drawn more crowds. But instead, what Jesus does is he looks at the people that are there, and he longs for them not to be awed by him, but he longs for them to hear well. He longs for them to to understand what he's saying because he knew this. He knew that if these people could understand what he was saying, that their life would be changed, that they would experience the fullest life possible. He knew that if if they could hear his message, they would understand why he would die for them. That they would understand why would he go to all the lengths to die for a group of people. If they could hear him, though, and that's what he longed. And so his hope was, would you please listen well? Now, if we read through the scriptures, you'll see this. You're going to see massive warnings if you read your Bible. Massive warnings for those who teach God's word. And massive implications for those like me or people that teach God's word. There are massive implications, massive warnings, and massive implications for those who teach God's word with an ill motive. To make money or to to further their own ill agenda. We see that through God's word. Jesus said this. He said, hey, if you're a teacher... If you teach God's word and you cause people to stumble, Jesus said it would be better for you to have a millstone tied to your neck and thrown into the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble, Luke chapter 17. Then James comes along, the brother of Jesus, and he puts the cherry on top saying, hey, not many of you actually should presume to be teachers because your life will be judged more strictly. Peace to you, pastors, sweet dreams, right? So we know this, don't we? There is a weight that is put on a proclaimer of God's word. A huge weight. It's a weight that should cause anyone in my position to at times be very nervous about what they're going to say, particularly if it's a hard message. There are times that that, that a a pastor, not times, all the time, a pastor should tremble at God's word because they know they're proclaiming the word of God and they will be judged more strictly because they are proclaiming the very words of God. And so they should take that responsibility so seriously. But in this passage, in Luke chapter 8, Jesus is not talking to me, the proclaimer of God's word. Jesus is talking to you. Jesus is talking to us, the listeners of God's word. The pressure, the weight falls on you this morning. Falls on me this morning as a listener as well of God's word. Because Jesus knows this. You're going to see this in this passage. You know this to be true in your own life. There are times when God's word will go out, when the message of the gospel, the message of this book gets presented, and there are certain people that their hearts are soft, and they receive it with joy, and I'm telling you, it, it penetrates their heart, and they, their life, they go out, and they, they live differently, and then there are other people that their heart is like a rock, and when they hear God's word, it just bounces off, or they're critical of it, or whatever, and so we have to ask ourselves one important question this morning because the desire of our God is that we would hear well. And so our question for this morning is this very simply, what kind of hearers are we? What kind of hearers are we? Because how you hear the word of God leads to eternal things. Eternal things are at stake every time we gather and it's based on how you hear the word of God. How, where does it go? The, the word here in this passage, it's used nine times in this section alone, and it's so much more than simply listening to words being spoken. Hearing in this passage, it means this, it means that I'm receptive to it. You know what I mean? It's, it's not just hearing like, oh, audible noise. No, it's being receptive to it. When this book gets opened, ask yourself the question this morning, 
What am I like? Am I eager? Am I anticipating? And do I come ready? Do I come hungry? Do I long? God, would you please teach me? Because, God, you're wise, and there are so many areas in my life, Lord, that I lack wisdom. And so, God, would you just lead me? What do you like when you approach God's word? There was a gal last weekend, someone that was describing her to me because they were so encouraged by her. They said, Jeff, you should have seen her. As the message was going out, she was sitting on the edge of her seat, and it was as though as she sat there, her eyes were big on the edge of her seat. It was as though she was just looking at the Word of God, and she was desperate for it because she knew that she needed to hear it. She longed to hear from God. She was eager. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it says this. It says, when God's Word goes out for some people, it's like the aroma of life. It's like when you walk into a home and you're very hungry and you smell dinner and it smells so good and you're so hungry and it just brings you joy. It's the aroma of life. But for other people, it says that it's the stench of death. That when you hear God's word, for some people, it's like, I don't want that. I don't need that. Or I do like that. And so I'll take some more of that, but I don't like that. And so let's actually forget about that and let's just stay over here. I pick and, pick and choose. For some, it's the aroma of life. For others, it's the stench of death. When I was dating Christina in college, God got a hold of both of our lives in college. And, and I was pretty sure we'd been dating a while. I was pretty sure that I wanted to marry her. And I knew that God had not given me the gift of singleness. He didn't wire me that way. And so I was, I was looking for a wife. I was on the hunt. And a mentor of mine, I approached him, Jeff Dodge, and I said to him, I said, hey, you know Christina, and we've been dating a while. And and I said, uh, I'm thinking about asking her to marry me. What do you think? And he said, well, I really like Christina. And, and then he said this. He said, I, I can tell you one thing specifically about her. He said, you know, I'm up in front of hundreds of, of college students. And I'm teaching God's word week in and week out. And he said, I can guarantee you this. He said, I can just count on it. After I'm done teaching God's word, so often she'll be in a little, the little line that'll form to talk to me. And there she is, and she's got her Bible open, and she's got a question about something that she read that week, and she wants to talk to me about it because she wants to better understand God's word so she can apply it to her life. Now, that was a defining conversation for me because I thought, okay, if she'll fear God above all, we can figure the rest out. We've got our own issues we'll bring to marriage, but we can figure those out as long as she'll fear God and love his word and that kind of thing. And so that was a defining conversation for me. I thought, she's hot. She fears God. Let's go get us a ring. <laughs> Done deal. Quick pause. In all seriousness, young men and women here today, what are you looking for in a spouse? If hot and gorgeous and beautiful are at the top of your list, I ask you, I beg you, stop the train for your sake. You want a man, you want a woman that in their 90s, in their 80s is going to be fighting for your relationship because that in that period of their, their life, their beauty will have gotten tired. But maybe, just maybe, if you pick the right woman or man, their desire for Jesus will only have continued to increase over time. That's the woman that you need. That's the man that you need. Don't worry about being lonely. Don't worry about that. Worry about finding a person that's going to drive you to Christ. That has nothing to do with this sermon. Let's keep going. <laughs> what am I like when I receive the instruction of God? Am I eager? Do I, do I like it? Do, oh, am I just, Lord, give me more. Lord, teach me. Where's my heart? Verse 5, he tells the story. A parable 
Here it goes. A farmer went out to sow some seed. Now, this would have been imagery they would have gotten. They would have understood this. Jesus is the sower. He's casting a whole bunch of seed. He's casting the seed to four different groups. Don't miss this. This I think this is a cool little point that you might just skip right over. Jesus is so generous with the seed. Not haphazard, but generous. Generous. It's going out four different groups. It says, for the one group, it says, as he scattered... Uh, was scattering the seeds. Some fell along the path and it was trampled on and then the birds came and they ate it up. So, some fell on the rocky ground and, and when it came up, the plants withered because there was no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns and it grew up with it and then it choked, strong language there, it choked the plants. Still other seed fell along the good soil. It came up and it, it yielded a crop. I mean, think about this. A hundred times more than was sown. And when he said this, he called out, and this is so important, he said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, Jesus wasn't saying, hey, whoever showed up with a pair of ears on their head, you should be good to go today. That's not what he was saying. What Jesus was saying was this, hey, if you showed up here with ears to hear, what I mean is, will you be receptive to what I say? Because if you'll be receptive to what I say, then you'll get to know me, and I'm promising you life to the full, so you want to receive what I'm about to say to you. Sometimes a parent will say to a child, I don't think you're hearing me. And they're not thinking, oh, we need to make an appointment with the audiologist. That's not what's on their mind. About a year ago, we gave in and we got a family dog based on the advice and the encouragement, really the nagging of a group of very clever and deceptive people. Many of you actually teamed up with my daughter. Evil scheme. And oftentimes, this is what happens. I feel like this. I feel like the dog doesn't hear me. Does she like me? Yes. I am her favorite in the home because I'm the only one that takes care of her. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> She likes me, but does she hear me? Sit. No, don't hear me. Come. Maybe. Stop. That's a big one. Stop. Outside the fence, cruising the neighborhood. Stop. Nah. Keeps going. Doesn't hear me. Verse 9, his disciples asked him what this parable meant. In other words, the disciples are looking at Jesus and they're going, man, I know you're trying to make it simple. We don't understand. Verse 10, he said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that those seeing they may not see, so hearing they may not understand. This is a quote from Isaiah chapter 6. Many of them in the crowd that day would have known that. And it's simply saying this, that the condition of your heart determines how you're going to be able to listen and how you're going to be able to respond. And if you're the kind of person that you listen with eagerness, then you're going to hear more truth. But if you're the kind of person that you have a hard heart, you're not going to be able to hear as much truth. There's going to be some stopping to that. There's going to be a filter there, depending on your motive. Now, as we continue through this passage, we get to this point in the story. If there's any question in the mind of Jesus' followers right now, what he's talking about, if there's any question, if some people are like, is he talking about just a bad farmer? Like a guy that's just haphazardly throwing seed and he doesn't have very good aim, so he hits the, you know, some on the path and he hits the rocks. Is, is that what Jesus is talking about? When we get to these next verses, it's going to get so clear to us. Jesus is going to narrow in four types of soils, four scenarios of how people hear. 
He's painting this vivid picture. Don't miss this. It's a picture of the human heart. And so ask yourself this morning, what kind of hearer am I? Where do you see yourself in the text? He's going to talk about, number one, a hard soil, a shallow soil next, a crowded soil, and then lastly, a good soil. Look with me at verse 11. Jesus said, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. So the sower, the preacher, the teacher, in this case, Jesus Christ, they're teaching the word of God. Verse 12, those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So that's scenario one. So God's word goes out, and this person says, no, thank you, that's not for me, I reject it. Or they receive the word of God, and it lands for a moment, and then it gets snatched away. Now, scenario one is the hard heart. It's the person that they're either, they're completely unmoved by the teaching of God's word, or they're moved for a time, but then very quickly it's, it's snatched away, it's snuffed out. I remember early on as, as I was in my journey coming to know Christ, the tension that I always felt like I was living in kind of two worlds. Because on the one hand, I would be in a setting just like this where God's word was being taught, and I would go, that's right. Oh, I need that. Oh, wow. I, oh, I can understand that for the first time. But then I would go to my surrounding where I was living and the people I had surrounded myself with, and they would say the opposite. And they would even criticize the things that I was hearing. And so oftentimes that little seed of faith would just get snatched away, get taken away. Some of you feel that way. Some of you, you go home to an unbelieving spouse or your your friends or your entire family doesn't know Christ. And they criticize the things that you're hearing in a place like this. You know what that feels like. It gets snatched. It gets snuffed out. Then it says this, verse 13, scenario 2. This one is terrifying, by the way. It says, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word of God with joy, and then they hear it, but they, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. And I think this one can often be seen as one event Christianity. That's what I kind of refer to it as. And this is, my, this is one of the greatest concerns, really, of a, a good, any good youth pastor. Because any good youth pastor, they hold events where kids come to and And then they preach the gospel with all their hearts and and they try to disciple kids and lead leaders and lead leaders to lead students and they pour their heart into that. But inevitably, some student will walk up to them at two in the morning at an event after having three Red Bulls and having just lost their girlfriend and they'll be in tears and they'll say, hey, I think God has changed my entire life. I'm giving all of myself to him right now in this moment. And in the mind of that youth pastor, they're going, oh, that's really good but I hope that's not the Red Bull speaking. And so they have this little prayer going in the back of their mind, Lord, I pray that that seed would take root, that that seed would grow. Maybe for you today, you come into a place like this, you love the music, you love the lights, you love maybe even being in a small group and being around people like this, and you receive God's word with joy, but it's not taking root It's not producing fruit. Over time, you look at your life and you go, I've not matured any in the last year. And I've been here. I've been a warm body in the building. That's group number two. Or maybe it's the person that's like this. They come up to me after a service and they say, that message changed my life. Our marriage is going to be fine. I'm in. I'm in for the long haul. I'm in. 
And a year later, their spouse comes up to me and they say this, he laughed in tears. She says, he laughed. Or, 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 or a man comes up to me and says, she's gone. And I say, well, why? What happened? She said, she's just not feeling it anymore. There was a time when, oh, I'm just so joyful. I'm receiving it with joy. But it has no legs. That's a shallow heart. A time of testing comes and it says that that person, that they will fall away. It's terrifying. Scenario number three, verse 14, is the crowded soil. As your pastor, Brookside, this is the one that concerns me the most about us. Verse 14. It says, the seed that fell among the thorns, it stands for those who they hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked, very graphic language, by life's worries, and other translations say right there, the cares of the world, by riches and pleasures. And Jesus, you know he said this plainly, where your treasures are, your heart will be also. And then it says this about them, it says, and these people, they do not mature. This one is so subtle. And you might feel like already... I don't want to hear that. It's offensive to me. There's no need to apologize. It's in the text. Let it lead us, though, church. This is like the frog in the pot. This is deception at its best. Scenario number three is the crowded heart. It's the person, they hear the word of God, but as they hear the word of God, they begin to walk down a path, a path toward maturity of, of becoming uh, not just a disciple of Christ, but a disciple maker and a person that's fully bought into the teachings of Jesus Christ. But as they go down that path, all of a sudden, little by little, they get nudged off the road and onto the shoulder and now into the ditch. And here's the tragedy. Oftentimes, they don't even know it happened. But then they wake up one day and they go, yeah, you're right. I used to be prayerful. We used to be generous. I used to care for people. We used to actually see the poor. We used to love the poor. We used to care for the hurting. But now I'm hoarding. Now life's all about me. This is the person whose heart gets numbed out because of the things of God, and they lose sight of God himself. In their minds, they believe for some weird reason it's a lie. They believe the lie that joy and intimacy and riches are not from God, and so they begin to pursue the things of God, and they lose the pursuit of God himself. It's so subtle. Church, the enemy would love to deceive you. He would love for you to live in crowded soil. It's the person who longs for intimacy, but they settle for quick pleasure. Maybe pornography becomes their outlet. On Wednesday night, I had put our two youngest kids to bed. Christina was gone. She was picking up our oldest. I sat down at the kitchen table, and I don't know if you remember Wednesday night, but the wind was blowing like 255 miles an hour. Do you remember that? It was crazy, wasn't it? And so I'm sitting down at the table, and I, I brought up the weather app on my phone, and I wanted to see, are we going to get some rain with this, or are we just going to get our house blown over? Like, well, what's gonna, what's this, how's this going to shake out? So I'm looking at the weather app, and all of a sudden, at the bottom of my screen, my phone screen, pops up this little picture of this gal, and she wasn't lacking beauty, I'll say, and next to her were these words, feeling lonely? Let's chat. And I actually was just home with the dog that doesn't listen very well. So I was feeling a little bit lonely. Now imagine if I would have hit chat. I would have been deceived. I would have been numbed. I would have been deceived by quick pleasure. It's a single person who longs to be married, but over time, being married to the wrong person seems better than not being married. 
It's deception. It's the person that you would say this, people are nice and, and, you know, people are important, but my aim, I am consumed. Like if you look at my time, if you look at how I spend my resources, I am consumed with accumulating more and more stuff, more than I will ever need. And slowly it begins to numb my soul for the things of God. It's the frog in the pot and it chokes the heart for eternal things. Scenario number three ends by saying this. It says they do not mature. Your growth, all that God made you for, in scenario three, it just gets choked out. It's the garden that gets planted with great intentions, but no vegetation ever comes because it gets choked out. The work of weeding never takes place, so there's no maturity for the crop. Years ago, there was a guy who approached me in our church, and he said, you don't know me. He said, but I've been coming to Brookside for a long time. And he said, I come with my wife and come with our kids. And, and he said, I, I've, I've never really believed until recently. He said, I've given my life to Christ. And I could tell it was different about, it was something different about him. He just had joy. And, and he had said to me, though, he said, you don't know who I am. And actually, I did know who he was. I knew who he was because I had to find out who he was. Because every time I taught from this stage, I would look out and I would see him. And he looked so angry. It was beginning to bother me. And so I asked about him. I said, who is this guy? And then I got to know his wife, and I learned about his wife, that she was pleading for God to soften his heart. That she was praying, oh, God, would you soften his heart? And I give him credit for this. For years, he walked into this place just to honor her, even though he didn't honor her God. But she prayed, God, would you soften his heart? God, would you bring him to yourself? God, would today be the day when the gospel of Jesus Christ comes into his heart and he goes, I am forgiven much. And I will delight in the grace of God. And so it was so neat to stand with him, this guy that opposed the gospel, but God had softened his heart. And let me just say to you this morning, if your heart is hard, if walking with Jesus, if the words of God seem like a chore to you, I beg you this morning, would you open your heart to God and would you say, Lord, I don't know how you'll do it, but whatever it takes, would you soften my heart? That's a prayer that God will answer for you. We'll see this in the last one, and this is so true for you and I this morning. Where you start is not as important as where you end. Finally, some good news. Here we go. Everybody smile for me. Come on. Scenario four. It's the good heart. Verse 15. It says, but the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and a good heart who hear the word, and then very important words here, they retain it. It doesn't mean that they're perfect. It it just simply means this. It means that when they hear God's word, that that there's a a sense of humility, kind of like we looked at in in Luke 7 last week, and there's a sense of humility of, God, I don't have this all figured out, but God, would you teach me? God, I actually disagree very much so with what you just said there, but Lord, I'm following you, so Lord, I'm not perfect. Lord, I sinned against you in that area, but Lord, I come to you in humility, and God, I pray that you would change me. I pray that you would lead me. That's the heart that their faith, that the fire of their faith, it doesn't get just snuffed out. It doesn't get covered up. No, it, it actually grows, and, and they retain it. And, and, and what I love about this person is that they're not a neutral force in the world. They're not a neutral force in the city of Omaha. No, no, no. They're they're a force for the kingdom of God. They live intentionally. There's something about them 
The, the text is going to go on. It's going to talk about how this kind of person, what do they do? They yield a crop. They retain it. They say, Lord, let my heart hear from you, and might the teaching of your word, might it do something in me. They retain God's word. This is not cultural Christianity. Sometimes you hear that. Cultural Christianity says, in one ear, out the other ear, I'll come, I'll do it. Yes, I'm a Christian because my grandma is a Christian. That's cultural Christianity. That's not retaining the word of God. Retaining the word of God is that you, you're responsible for you. How are you hearing God's word? It's the kind of person that says, Lord, would you soften me? Why might I hear it well? Look at how scenario four ends. I love this. And it says, and by persevering, they, this soil, this heart, these people, they produce a crop. By persevering, they keep going. What I love about soil four, this person, this heart, is that when tragedy hits, their faith doesn't drop off. It only grows deeper. There's a family in our church this week The husband is battling cancer. His last days seem to be upon him. But you know what's happening in their home? Their faith is growing deeper. They're loving God more, not less. They're seeing, okay, I've got an eternal perspective. They're living with the end in mind, and their faith is shining right now. It's one thing, isn't it, to trust God when your business is booming, when the numbers are great? It's one thing, isn't it, to trust God when your kids are acting angelic or when your spouse thinks you're part Jesus? We've never had to worry about that in our home. Uh, Like, for me, my spouse is actually very great. Um, But isn't it another thing when you have no job? Isn't it another thing when things are not going well and you feel like, man, I think the wheels might be coming off of this thing? Isn't it another thing... When you just feel like, I have to trust you, God, in this moment. You know what that produces, church? That's soil four. That's the heart that will produce a crop. That's the person that says, I will keep going. I will persevere. I will trust God. Last year, I was out deer hunting with a buddy over a weekend, and his brother was combining corn in the field right next to us, and he was shorthanded that afternoon, and and you know how, how that gets, they're rush, he's rushing to finish things. And so that afternoon, me, the little city boy, I got to play on the farm. And I love it when that happens. And so we, you know, we got invited over there, and I wasn't qualified to drive the tractor, and I wasn't qualified to drive the semi to go unload the corn. And so I got to sit in the little kitty seat right in the combine cab right next to the, right next to the brother. And so we're combining corn, and we've got, this, we've got this thing full of corn. I mean, he's like, look up in that window up in the top, and you could just see the corn. was everywhere. It was just overflowing. It was really, it was full. We needed to stop. So we're going to unload it, and we go down in this little ravine, and the whole, whole machine kind of tilts a little bit, and all of a sudden, all this corn comes just flying over the cab. And I was like, so much for that yield, you know, and it just comes crushing over. You know what that's a picture of? Overflowing. That's soil four. That's a heart that says, you know what, God, I don't have it all figured out, but if I'll follow you and if your spirit will be alive and well in me, and if I'll continue, if I'll persevere, you know what that person will do over time? They will overflow. 
they will overflow with blessing. That's the church that says we live for the city. That's the church that says we take new ground. That's the people of God that the people look around and they say there's something different about them. And it's that they're overflowing. The blessings of God are pouring from them by his grace. In verse 8, notice this. It says that that yield, they yield... That seed will yield a crop 100 times what was sown, 100-fold. How powerful would it be if our church caught a vision for being 100-fold people? Isn't that exciting? 100-fold people. You know, what I love in conclusion about these four scenarios is this. If you find yourself in numbers one through three, scenario four is within reach by the grace of God. I love this. I imagine what it was like when Jesus finished speaking and he went on. If you'll read in further in chapter 8, he said a few more things and it looks like he was done with his speech. And I just wonder what it was like when the boat then went back to shore. And I, I have to imagine that there were some people that walked up to Jesus then and they maybe stood in a line. And I have to imagine that some people argued with him and some people wondered, hey, are you really the government guy that we were hoping for, that kind of Messiah? But then I have to imagine that there were some people that came to him and they said, I'm soil number one. I'm soil number two, soil number three, and would you change me? I want to be soil four. I want to live for things that will live beyond me. I want to be soil four. And what I love about what we know about Jesus Christ is this, that the Lord honors that posture. Do you remember what he said last weekend when we looked at Luke chapter 7 and he saw that we saw this woman before Jesus? What did he say to her when she got up and she walked back through that crowd that was criticizing her? What did he say to her? He said, you go in peace. You go in peace. He knew what she was stepping into. And so here's how we're going to close this morning. We're going to sing a song, and, you know, it, it's fine. If you, if you stand up and just sing, that's great. We'll sing our, let's sing our hearts out to our God today. But maybe for you this morning, maybe you need to just sit for a minute in your chair, and you just need to say to the Lord, Lord, this is, this is the one I am. I, I come in, and I receive it with joy, but it doesn't mature. Or I'm the sea that it just gets snuffed out. Or I, I'm the person that I, man, I've, I, I'm slowly getting crowded out. We are so busy and I'm so distracted. And, and the things of this world, though, maybe it's the worries of God even. And you need to tell those worries this morning. Hey, you're keeping me in soil number three. I'm, I'm a soil four person. Get behind me. But would you go to the Lord right now? Would you just say in your own way, Lord, this is who I am. This is the kind of hearer that I am. But Lord, this is who I long to be. And so, yeah, would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your scriptures. I thank you for how you t teach and how you allow us to think about you in relationship with you. And Lord, this morning, we just want to say to you, Lord, would you do business in our hearts today? And so we come to you now, and maybe for the first time, some of you this morning, don't miss your moment this morning. Maybe you come to the Lord this morning and you say, I have never given my life to Christ. But today I believe. Today my heart goes from hard to moldable and soft. Not perfect, that's for sure. But Lord, would you do a great work in me. Lord, wherever we're at, would you meet us now in this place. We love you.